Hey, welcome to week two of Southside Church Online. What a privilege it is for us to bring church to you for a change. It was amazing watching last week as we saw that uh, people all over Chilliwack in this valley were watching online, but so were people all over Canada, literally from one end of Canada to the other, which was so cool, and, and people all over the world, really. Spain, Saudi Arabia, the Philippines. And I got to thinking, you know, like maybe you're here for the first time or the first time in a long time, or maybe you've been going to Southside for a long time and you kind of wonder, what's Southside all about? Well, I'm glad you asked. Southside Church is about help, hope, and home. You say, yeah, 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 we used to be about that, Mike, but things are different now. Yeah, yeah, things are different in the world. These are interesting times, but our mission always remains the same. Our methods might change, but our, miss, our mission is help, hope, and home. In, in other words, the what might change, but the why never changes. The why behind Southside Church is always to bring help, hope, and home. And so I know Leah already mentioned a few things, but I want to reiterate them a little bit. So how are we helping right now? Well, here's one way. Uh, through our feedback channels, we want to hear from you. Okay, so whether that's our text number 604-670-3040, you can text us anytime. Or our, our, our chat box on southsidelife.com. You go to the bottom right, it says hashtag Southside Together. Whatever one of those you want to use, you can get a hold of us day or night, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There will be somebody there to talk with you. Maybe you need help. We want to help. Maybe you need help helping somebody else. We want to help you help someone. Maybe you have questions that you need answered. Maybe you're facing confusion. Maybe you're feeling isolated and you just want to talk to somebody. We'd love to give you a call. Whatever it is, man, we, we do want to help. And, and, and the second area that we can bring tangible help right here in our valley is at the Shehala School. So all year long, we, we, uh, we, we support the families of the Shehala School by donating food and other essential items. And, and the school itself becomes the hub of all our help. But as you probably know, school is canceled indefinitely in our province. And for some students in some schools, what that means is, man, I don't get to see my friends for a while. Or, cool, I don't have to do classes for a while. But for students at the Shehala School, it means a lot more than that. And so what we decided that we want to do is just because school's out, we, wanna, we don't want to stop helping. So if you go onto the southsidelife.com website, right at the top, it says Food for Hope. And you can be a part of it. So number one, you can just give. You can give financially to support um, what we're doing to, to assist these families. Number two, you could, you could pack a, a food hamper. We got lists there of everything that, that could be placed in the hamper. Or number three, you could be a driver. You could pick up the hampers and deliver them. That'd be awesome. So we're about help at Southside Church. That's one of our whys. Another one is about hope. I don't really know that there's been that many times in history when the world needs hope like the world needs hope right now. And fortunately for you and me, we know hope. Hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And we're just going to keep telling his story. You say, well, what if, what if we can't even do church online anymore? Mike, what if, what if we're, we're all isolated to our homes? Then I will take my iPhone and I will put it on my coffee table and I will preach to you we will keep telling the story of Jesus because hope has a name and the world needs to know. See, the what's and the methods might change, but the mission and the why never changes for us. 
We also want to bring home, and you say, well, what's home? I said a few weeks ago in a sermon that for me, home means connection, love, and authenticity. And we want, we want to make sure that in, in a time of history where it would be easy for us to drift apart, we want to stay connected because we're better together. We're stronger together. We're meant to be together, you and me. All of us, we're, we're meant to be together. And so I want to invite you again to just be a part of what we're doing on social media. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube. Every day at 12.30, every weekday at 12.30, we're going to do Southside together. We're going to be there to uh, give you some inspiration, maybe some information, some music, whatever it is. We just want to be together once a weekday at, at 12.30. Um, you can use those feedback channels also. The text number, 604-670-3040. Uh, Southside Together on the website. Right now, there's a live chat going on. What, whatever platform you're watching this on, whether it's Facebook or YouTube, be a part of that. We'd love to hear from you. Because I'll tell you this, we weren't meant to do life alone, and we're not going to. We're going to fight to stick together, to pull together, even though the temptation might be to drift apart. So we're in week two of this series, called Here Below. And, and the title of the series comes from a doxology written way back in 1674 by the Bishop Thomas Ken. It goes like this. He said, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Here below. <laughs> Can I tell you the truth? In my whole life, I can't think of a time that I felt more here below, here below, than right now. It's feeling real here below, here below. And I, I think I know why. We talked about it a little bit last week. Sometimes life here below is it's like a playground. But then there's times and there's moments when we realize that it, it can be more like a battleground. I would go as far as to say this. There's a spiritual battle raging here below. Jesus describes it actually in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, I've come that you might have life, abundant life. But the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So those are the two sides. So let me lay them out for you. First of all, can I tell you something? God loves you. The God who spoke the universe into existence thought you up. You're his idea. He's for you. You know what? There might have been times in your life, maybe you're there right now, where you've given up on God. He's never given up on you. Maybe you're in a place in your life right now where you've given up on you. He hasn't given up on you, and he never will. God loves you. So much, in fact, that he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, stepped into human history as a baby in a manger in a little town called Bethlehem. He grew up and he died on a cross so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have a fresh start, so you wouldn't have to spend your whole life dragging around your baggage and your shame and your regrets and your garbage. You could lay them down at the foot of the cross. And then Jesus rose again. And because he rose again, we have salvation and we have freedom. Jesus loves you. He loved you so much, in fact, that when he ascended into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to be with you. And, and the Holy Spirit is like 
when Jesus was walking around on the earth, he, he, it was his, the tangible presence of God. But when Jesus left, what he did was he sent his Holy Spirit so the presence of God could be with each one of us to comfort us, to strengthen us, to guide us into a life worth living that starts now and stretches all the way into eternity. You have a friend in God. You have a friend in Jesus. And because that's true, here's what else is true. You have a spiritual enemy called the devil because the devil opposes everything that God loves. You say, well, it's kind of it's crazy, Mike. It's not really crazy, actually. It's really something that I just want to make clear. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. It's not crazy. It's just making clear what I think for you is already self-evident. You kind of know there's a battle raging here below, don't you? It's the reason why sometimes there's things in your life that you really want to do and you know that you should do them. And actually, when you really think about it, they should be pretty easy to do, but for some reason, it's just way more difficult than it should be. That's the battle that's raging here below. Or sometimes there's things in your life that you're doing, and you know you shouldn't do them anymore, and you really want to stop them. And it should be actually pretty easy and pretty simple to stop them, but for some reason you can't. They're more, it's more difficult than it should be. That's the battle that's raging here below. I would suggest that it's self-evident. And we live in unprecedented times. We have a pandemic that is uh, drastically affecting the lives of everyone literally around the world. And it's, it's especially tragic to me because I think it, 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 it greatly affects the older, the weaker, and the most vulnerable. So I want to take a second before we go any further today, and I just want to pray. So let's pray right now. So dear God, I... I come before you and I I pray for every single person who is watching. I pray for every person who fits into the category of older, weaker, more vulnerable. I pray for protection. I pray for wisdom. I pray for strength. God, we know you you are the one who spoke the universe into existence and you could do anything. So God, we pray that you would stop this pandemic in its tracks. Father, we, we ask that you would be with all of those people that are on the front lines of this fight. We, we pray for our first responders, for doctors, nurses, paramedics, every, everybody that is putting themselves in, in harm's way to protect us. Father, be with them. And thank you for the heroism. And Father, we also pray for the scientists and the, and, and, and the doctors and the researchers who are out there right now looking to find a cure. God, they were created by our Creator. And therefore, they are creative. So give them creativity, give them ingenuity, give them brilliance to combat this. And Father, we pray for our leaders. We pray for the leaders of our city, of our province. We pray for the leaders of this world. We we pray for our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. Father, I pray for him right now. I pray that you would give him strength. I pray that you would give him courage. I pray that you would give him incredible wisdom and insight to lead our country well in challenging times. So we thank you, God,
for the fact that in a world that sometimes seems completely out of control, one thing we do know is that you are in control. In your name, amen. Amen. So there's a global pandemic. But it's, it's interesting to me because um, I, I believe that the global pandemic called uh, COVID-19 is, is something that we can see. It's physical. We look in a microscope and we can, we can see the virus. But I also believe there's an unseen pandemic. And I would refer to that unseen pandemic as fear or anxiety. And I'm not entirely sure that it's not going to do more damage than the seen pandemic. So in the New Testament of the Bible, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to his protege, Timothy, and he says this, God did not give you a spirit of fear. I want to stop there for a second. God did not give you a spirit of fear. God did not give you a spirit of terror. God did not give you a spirit of, of anxiety. So here's the question that we need to ask. Who did then? In light of the battle that rages here below, who did give you a spirit of fear? Who did give our world a spirit of anxiety? That's the battle that rages here below. So Paul writes, God didn't give you a spirit of fear, but, but a power and love and a sound mind. The Holy Spirit gives you power and love and a sound mind. So I have a question for you about this pandemic that I would call anxiety. Do you see it? Because what, what, what you would see is, if, if you saw it, you would see the opposite of power, love, and a sound mind, right? So I've got some questions for you. So you see somebody pushing and shoving to get into a department store so that they can buy enough toilet paper to last them for seven years. Does that sound like a sound mind to you? Or how about this? You have someone pushing and shoving to get into a pharmacy so they can buy up all the disinfectant and all the uh, hand sanitizer so that the older and the weaker and the most vulnerable can't get any. Unless maybe they're going to sell it again online for 20 times its value. Does that sound like love to you? See, I, I, I think that there's a battle below the battle. There's an unseen battle raging below the seen battle. And I think we need to pray against that too. And I'm going to be doing that in just a few minutes. But I want to talk about the battle that rages here below. And I want to do that for the, for, for the next uh, several weeks by looking at the New Testament book of Jude. It's the second last book of the Bible. It's actually one of the shortest books of the Bible. It's 450 words, but it's 450 words that really, really pack a punch. Okay? So, so Jude is actually one of the little brothers of Jesus. His given name was Judas. But after his big brother Jesus was crucified and rose again, a Jew did not want to be associated with or mistaken for Judas Iscariot, the disciple who uh, betrayed Jesus. So he shortened his name to Jude. And he wrote this letter in 75 AD. It was a letter to first century followers of Jesus. And what did he write about? He wrote about the battle, the spiritual battle that rages here below. And I think it's important to note that it was God's plan to place that letter in our Bible. So whether you're reading it as a first century Christian or 21st century Christians like you and me, it's important to note this. Jude did not write that letter so that we would be afraid, but instead so that we would be aware. And so this, this is not about being afraid, but it is about being aware. Because when you're aware that there's a battle raging here below, guess what you realize? You realize this. You have everything you need to stand your ground. You don't have to give up an inch. That you have everything you need, need to fight the good fight. You can actually move forward in your life. 
and you have everything you need so that you don't have to spend your entire existence scratching and clawing and fighting and hoping for victory. No, instead, you can live your life fighting from victory, the victory that Jesus won through his death and resurrection. And when you do that, you can see victory in your life and you can bring victory to others. Not afraid, not afraid, never afraid, never afraid, but aware. And when we're aware, we're gonna see victory. So let's jump into the book of Jude. No chapters, it's just 450 words. Just starts at verse one. You ready? Here it is. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. I'm gonna stop there. I'm gonna stop there. You say, Mike, that's, a, that's 11 words into the book of Jude. That's only 11 words. Wow, like at that rate, uh, we're going to be in the book of Jude for, I, I, I actually did this on a calculator earlier, earlier 40.9 weeks. But I got to tell you something. I don't really love your attitude. I can just kind of sense it on the other side of this camera that you got a bad attitude about it. And what I think you should do is I think you should turn your frown upside down. So I think we should try that again. Okay, so let's try to say it a different way. Mike, yeah, you only covered 11 words. And what that means is we still have 40.9 weeks left in the book of Jude. I know, it's incredible. And you're gonna love it. It's awesome, okay? That's better. But I really, really had to stop there. And the reason why I had to stop there is because Jude, obviously, maybe you picked up on this already, he misses a great opportunity for a name drop, doesn't he? Remember, he wrote this letter in 75 AD to followers of who? Jesus. Jesus is his big brother. So he could have easily started the letter this way. Hey, it's Jude. Jesus is my big brother. So I don't know. You might want to listen to me. You know, just an idea. But he, but he doesn't do that. He says, uh, servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Why? Oh, that's easy. That's easy. The reason is easy. Humility. He's humble. Now, I tell you that because last week I mentioned, I will mention this again, that, that, I, that I do believe that the devil comes to steal and kill and destroy. I believe that he wants to oppose you. And I believe in order to oppose you in this life, he has to find an open door. So let me tell you the first open door, the primary open door, the most important open door that leads to all the other open doors. Pride. The open door of pride will give the devil an opportunity to step into your life and steal and kill and destroy. To bring self-pity, exhaustion, defeat, isolation, and anxiety. In the New Testament, in James chapter 4, we read that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Maybe if you grew up going to church, you've heard that verse before. I'm going to explain it to you in a way today that you've never heard it explained before and that I don't think you'll forget. And if you didn't grow up going to church, that's even better because I'm going to explain this verse to you for the first time in a way that you're never going to forget. God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. And I'm going to do it by telling you two stories, two stories and one happy ending, two stories and one happy ending. Are you ready? I'll take your silence as a yes. You're ready. You're really, really ready. Um, the first proud person I want to talk about is out of the New Testament. His name is Peter. Now, Peter is sort of like the, 
the self-appointed leader of the disciples of Jesus. Peter is very proud. He's very bold. He's very bombastic. Peter's the kind of guy that's so proud, in fact, that he, he, uh, he speaks and he acts before he even thinks. He thinks he's got this. And for that reason, he's a little bit like some of us, I'll include myself, sometimes he does things and says things that uh, aren't the greatest. But every, every once in a while, he hits a home run. Like uh, a passage in Matthew 16, the disciples are walking with Jesus one day, and they're talking about how everyone is speculating on who Jesus is. And they're talking about how some people say that Jesus is Elijah. And some people think that he's Jeremiah or another one of the prophets. And others think he's John the Baptist come back from the dead. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? And guess who speaks up? Peter speaks up. And I guarantee you the other disciples were like, oh no, oh no, 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 not Peter. This is going to go bad. This is what he says. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Nailed it. He did it. The law of averages says if you speak up enough times, eventually you'll get it right. He nailed it. Listen to this. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood. Now keep in mind, this is a moment. So up until this moment of time, uh, Peter's name was Simon. So Jesus is about to give him a new name, the name that we know him by, which is Peter. And, and, and what Peter means is rock. Okay, so listen. So he says, uh, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Whoa! Nice work, Peter. Nailed it. And you can tell that Peter's really feeling it, right? Because he's just so, like, just, just, just perfect answer. Jesus gives him a pat on the back, and he's so confident, he's so proud that just a couple minutes later in the conversation, Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to die for the sins of the world, and then on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And Peter is so proud in that moment that he decides, you know what I need to do? I need to rebuke Jesus. So he calls Jesus over. He's like, hey, <laughs> your plan, let me, how, how do I put it? The pl- your plan is stupid, Jesus. It's a dumb plan, okay? But I'll tell you something. If you stick with me, I'm going to help you come up with a better plan. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. So what I want to suggest to you is that Peter's pride has opened the door to the devil's voice in his life. But he continued to be proud. On the night before Jesus died on the cross, Jesus is having the last supper with his disciples, and he says to his disciples, when I'm arrested, you're all going to scatter. You're all going to scatter. And Peter leans back to Jesus and he says, hey, when you said we're all going to scatter, what you meant is like all of them except for the rock, right? Like all these losers might scatter Jesus, but no way, not me. I'll stick with you to the end. He's proud. He's proud. And, and Peter's proud of who? Peter's proud of Peter. Peter runs on Peter power. His, his, his strength, his hope is in Peter. And he looks at Jesus and says, even if the rest of these wing nuts run for it, I'm with you. And, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, Simon, calls him by his old name. Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I prayed for you, Simon, 
that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Peter's proud. Peter runs on Peter power. Peter's hope is in Peter. Peter's strength is in Peter. And, and Jesus says, what's happened is your, your reliance on yourself is so strong that you've actually dismissed God's protection for your life and now Satan is going to sift you like wheat. And then he goes so far as to describe what the sifting is going to look like. He says, in fact, Peter, what's going to happen is you're actually going to deny that you even know me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter can't believe it. Peter's proud. He's bombastic. He's bold, you know. And, and later on that same night, the, the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Historians tell you that it was somewhere between 100 or even 700 soldiers that came to arrest Jesus. And Peter's still Peter. He's still bombastic and he's still bold. He still acts without thinking. He cuts off a soldier's ear. I bet he wasn't trying to cut off his ear, but he missed and he cut his ear off. Jesus puts it back and he's still Peter. But a half an hour later after Jesus gets arrested, literally, all hell breaks loose in Peter's life. Why? You need to know why. Be, be, because Peter was powered by Peter. Peter's hope was in Peter. And in his pride, what he did was he dismissed God's protection from his life and invited the devil's opposition. And all hell breaks loose in Peter's life. He goes from being bold and bombastic to terrorized and anxious. He does deny that he knew Jesus I mean, one of the times he's talking to a school-aged girl and he calls down curses on himself and says, man, I've never even met him. And the third time he denies Jesus, the rooster crows. And the Bible says Peter went out, went out and wept bitterly. Now the story of Peter has a happy ending, but I'm going to get to that at the end of my sermon. I want to give you one more story. The second story is an Old Testament story of pride. Uh, a king named Ahab. We met Ahab before. Proud, wicked King Ahab. Married to proud, wicked Queen Jezebel. The last time we saw uh, Ahab and Jezebel, they were chasing down Elijah the prophet because they wanted to kill him. But some years have gone by, and uh, we read here in 1 Kings uh, 22 that now what Ahab has done is Ahab, has, Ahab is the king of Israel, and he's recruited Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he says, hey, together, let's go to war against uh, the Arameans at Ramoth-Gilead. We can do this. And, and, and Jehoshaphat is like, okay, yeah, okay, okay. Okay, I'll join you. Let's, let's go to war. But, but I'm feeling a little tentative. So before we go to war, can you do me a favor? Can we just talk to some prophets? Can we see what some prophets think about the idea of us going to war against the Arameans? And so Ahab says, no problem, no problem. I got, pro I got 400 prophets, in fact. Yeah, Ahab does. He has 400 pro uh, prophets, and they're 400 unfaithful prophets because they're 400 prophets who have been taught over time that they better please the king instead of tell the truth. That's what happens with proud people, by the way. Proud people end up surrounded by uh, people that would rather please them to tell the truth. So the 400 prophets, the 400 unfaithful prophets come in and Ahab and Jehoshaphat say, should we go to war against the Arameans? And the 400 prophets say what? Absolutely. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Ahab, you're the man. You can't lose. You got this. Go to war. It's going to be awesome. But Jehoshaphat isn't completely convinced. This is what he says in 1 Kings 22 verse 7. Uh, 
is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel, this is Ahab, answered Jehoshaphat, well, there's still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imla. I hate that guy because he tells the truth. Okay, and, and, but, but Jehoshaphat says, I, I'd like to talk to him actually. I'd like to hear from him. And so a messenger goes to get Micaiah. Guess where he is? He's in jail. Guess who put him there? Ahab. That's what proud people do. They take people that are going to tell them the truth and they cut them out of their life. They put them in a, a, put them in a prison. They, they distance themselves, but they go get Micaiah. The story gets awesome from here. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, look, the other prophets, without exception, are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak fa- favorably. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what the Lord tells me. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or not? Attack and be victorious, Micaiah answered, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. The king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Poor Micaiah, right? He's looking at Ahab going, you don't like it when I lie to you and you don't like it when I tell you the truth. But he looks at Ahab and says, okay, you want the truth? I'll give you the truth. Here's what it sounds like. I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like a sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. In other words, Micaiah says to Ahab, you do this, you're dead. You want to know the truth? You go through with this, proud Ahab, you're dead. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesied anything good about me, only bad? Micaiah continued, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward stood before the Lord and said, I'll entice him by what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a deceiving spirit to the mouths of all his prophets. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. Ahab's powered by who? Ahab. Ahab trusts in whose strength? Ahab's. Ahab leans on who? Ahab. And, and, and what, what you need to know right now is that Ahab's pride has dismissed God's protection from his life. We talk about uh, God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. Listen to me. In the battle that rages here below, Ahab's in this situation where he says, no, 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 I can trust me. My power is me. My strength is me. My hope is me. What he does is he dismisses God's protection because he doesn't need it, right? And invites opposition. And then the devil comes in and, and, and entices his prophets to say, you go, man, you go, you go ahead and do it. But do you see the incredible mercy of God in this story? God uses the godly king, Jehoshaphat, who calls for the godly prophet, Micaiah. And Micaiah looks 
at Ahab one more time. Wicked, proud Ahab and says, Ahab, you go do this. You're going to die. Last chance, Ahab. What are you going to do? And you know what Ahab did? He threw Micaiah back in jail and he went to war. And so just as him and Jehoshaphat and their armies are preparing to fight against the Arameans, uh, Ahab starts to think to himself, ah, maybe Micaiah was actually like kind of onto something, you know? And so he says, um, hey, Jehoshaphat, I got a cool idea. Um, why don't we switch outfits? You know, so like you can wear my outfit and all you wear, wear your outfit. So here's the thing about pride. It invites opposition. It also makes you stupid. Uh, right? So like when Micaiah said that I was going to die if I went into battle, what he, maybe what he meant was this, the guy who was dressed up in my clothes is going to die, so this is going to work out really, really well. And I don't know why, but Jehoshaphat says, okay, I'll switch outfits with you. You know, Ahab, if that's what you want to do, if that's your lucky strategy to go into war, let's switch outfits. It kind of reminds me, I got my license back when, back in the day when I turned 16 in Alberta, you were allowed to get your license on the day that you turned 16 and I got it. And immediately I began getting tickets, like immediately. And, and, and back in my day, you had to honestly really work hard to lose your license. You get like an insurmountable, almost uncountable amount of tickets in order to lose your license. Okay, so I'm 16 years old in grade 11. I turned 17 in grade 12. I'm racking up tickets and racking up tickets and racking up tickets. In the summer between grade 12 and college, I'm in August and now I am in hot water. Like I am, I cannot get one more ticket. Like if I, if I look at a police officer wrong, I'm going to lose my license. Okay, so I'm driving with my best buddy Grant near Banff and I'm speeding. <laughs> wow. Surpri- okay, so, so I, lo- I look in the rearview mirror and the blue and red lights go on. I'm like, oh no. Oh no. So say to Grant, Grant, can you please switch? Like, can we switch right now? I'll pay the ticket. I just, I'm going to lose my license if I get this ticket. So we're driving down the highway um, and we switch. We switch places. Okay? So, so, so Grant's now in the driver's seat and he pulls the car over to the side of the road and the policeman comes walking up to Grant's window. And I'm like, oh, come on, come on, come on. Right? And he stands there for like a long time. I'm wondering, like, what's he, what's he waiting for? And, and then he says, license and registration, please. And I'm like, I fought the law and I won. I fought the law and I won. I won this time. Finally, I won one, you know. And, and so I'm all excited. And he crouches down and Grant, Grant, Grant was getting his wallet out of his jean jacket. Um, were we the only two guys that put our wallet in our jean jacket back in the day. Okay, anyways, that's where we kept it. So he's getting his wallet out of his jean, and, and the police officer, he bends down, and he looks at Grant, and he puts his hand back. He goes, not you. He reaches across Grant, and he says, nice switch. And so I lost my license, okay? And so my, my first month of college, my mom had to drop me off at college every morning and pick me up at the end of the day, which was just so awesome, which is pretty much exactly how things worked out for Ahab. Except he didn't lose his license, he lost his life. So the Arameans see uh, Ahab's royal robes and they chase him down. At the last second, they're like, wait a minute, that's not Ahab. And so Ahab is just blending in with all the other troops. He thinks he's fine. And an Aramean archer sends up an arrow almost at random. It travels through the air and wouldn't you know it, it hits Ahab right in the crease of his armor and he dies. 
And that's the end. There's a passage in Proverbs 16 that says it this way. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. It's interesting because you've heard that misquoted before. You've heard people say this, pride comes before a fall. But that's not what it says. Let me read it for you again. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. In other words, you're going to have moments in life where you realize, man, man, my, uh, my hope is in me, my strength is in me, my trust is in me, I better get this figured out. Because pride comes before destruction. So I told you I'd give you a happy ending, and that's what I want to do. I want to end with that. So let's go back to Peter. The rooster crows. Peter has denied Jesus three times. The Bible says he, he went away and he wept bitterly, and he did. And Jesus died on that cross. But then he rose again. And Peter, along with the other disciples, were so grateful and so happy. And Peter believed in Jesus more than he had ever believed in Jesus before. The only problem with Peter in that moment was he didn't believe in Peter anymore. He didn't give up on Jesus. Far from it. He just gave up on Peter. See, after he denied Jesus three times, what he decided is that he's gone from this place of pride to self-loathing. And he decided that Jesus' words where he would be the rock and the church builder no longer applied. So Peter went back to his old life. He went back to fishing because he thought that Jesus would never have any more use for him. I'll pick up the story there in John chapter 21. Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. (laughs) They went out and they got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them, Good morning! Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, No. He said, Throw the net off the the right side of the boat and see what happens. They did what he said. All of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the master. When Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes, for he was stripped for work, and he dove into the sea. That's it. That's the key. Swim for it. Swim for it. See, I don't know, I don't know who you are or where you've been or what you've done, but I know this. Um, Jesus is right there. And the invitation <laughs> to you is the same as it was to Peter. Hey, swim for it. See, because Peter swam to shore and he had a conversation with Jesus that day that absolutely, completely changed his life. Basically, he came to the conclusion that uh, this whole paradigm, let, 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 can, can we, we'll, we'll call this the self-esteem paradigm, you know, where Peter's power, uh, Peter's power was in Peter and his hope was in Peter and his joy and his strength and his protection was all about Peter. And when he, when he was having a good day, man, he was so proud And when he was having a bad day, he was insecure. And when he was having a really, really bad day, it was self-loathing. And it's a yo-yo. I think we've all been there. And Jesus said to Peter that day, and he taught Peter that day, I've got a new paradigm for you. Hey, Peter, it's not all about you. It's not all about you. It's it's about Jesus. And he he looked at Peter and said, how about your strength is in me? and your hope is in me, and your trust is in me. 
because Peter, here's the thing. You're at a point in your life right now where you don't believe in you anymore, but I do. I still believe in you, Peter. So how about you believe in me? And it's a brand new paradigm. That we don't, we don't have to live on that yo-yo of self-esteem where one day it's great and the next day it's terrible. Instead, we move over and it's, all, it's not all about me anymore. It's all about Jesus. And even when I'm weak, he's strong. And when I'm lost, he, finds, he, he gets me to a place where I'm found. When I, when I see that something's impossible, he makes it possible. It's a whole new paradigm. It's a whole new way of looking at life. When I get to the point where I'm like, it doesn't have to be about me anymore. It can be about Jesus. And so I don't know where you are, but maybe you're at a point where you just don't believe in you anymore. I don't know what's happened, but you're just at a point where you think, man, I, 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 don't, I don't believe in me anymore. I want to tell you something. Jesus has a message for you. He still believes in you. He doesn't measure you by your failure. He measures you by the future that he has planned for you. He doesn't measure you by your past. He measures you by your potential. And man, it's exciting. It's incredible. But you got to get off of this paradigm. There's no hope in that paradigm. There's no future in that paradigm. There's no stability in that paradigm. Jesus has a new offer. And what's amazing is after he had that talk with Peter on the beach over breakfast, Peter did end up being that rock. He did end up being that church builder. He did, you know, like after Jesus ascended into heaven, um, the, the disciples all went to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and thousands and thousands of people were gathered. And they all looked at the disciples and the disciples looked at each other and said, well, somebody should say a few words. And guess who spoke up? Peter. And I bet you all the disciples were like, oh, no, 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 not Peter. But he spoke and it was different. Because it wasn't about Peter anymore. And the power didn't come from Peter anymore. It was all about Jesus. And his strength came from Jesus. And the message pointed people to Jesus. And you know what happened? 3,000 people got saved that day. And the church was launched. And it's still bringing hope to the world today. It's a new paradigm. It's not about you. It's not about good day, bad day, good. It's about Jesus. And Jesus doesn't have bad days. And even, in, even when you get to moments where you don't believe in you, he still believes in you. So believe in him. So let me ask you a question. How are you doing with pride? How, how are you doing with pride? I guess there's a few questions that I could ask you that might help you answer that question. When's the last time you apologized to somebody? When's the last time you asked somebody for advice? When you're having a conversation with people, um, do you do a lot of listening or do you just do a whole bunch of talking? Because the truth is subconsciously, if you find yourself talking, uh, all the time in conversations, deep down inside what it means is you don't think anyone has anything as worthwhile to say as you do. If you had to be completely honest, is your, is your whole life about being served or serving others? Is your whole life about being helped or helping others? Is your whole life about being known or getting to know others? Is your whole life about uh, being understood or learning to understand others? Is your whole life about being loved or extending love to others? That's really the question. Because you know what? I think we need to swim for it today. <laughs> I think we need to come, especially in this season of life, and realize this paradigm is broken. It's ridiculous. It doesn't work. It's a yo-yo. And turn our, turn our hope and our strength and our attention to Jesus. So I want to ask you, 
Man, have you ever done that? Like, do you find yourself on a, on a, on a little bit of a roller coaster in life where good days are, man, you're proud and, and, a, and, and a kind of bad day, you're feeling kind of insecure and then a really bad day, it's into self-loathing and it's back and forth and it's back and forth and it's back and forth. Can I make a suggestion? Today is the day. Today is your day. Find a new paradigm. Jesus stepped into human history for you. He died on the cross so that you can get rid of all your sin and all your shame and all your guilt. You can be forgiven right now. And, and he rose again so that you don't have to live uh, from your strength anymore. Even when you're weak, he's strong. Even when you're exhausted, he'll give you rest. When it seems impossible to you, he'll make it possible. He'll show you a way when there doesn't even seem to be a way. That's Jesus. And you know where it starts? It starts just by accepting. Accepting him. Man, I don't know if you believe in you right now, but I'll tell you, I guarantee you, I believe God sent me. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know if you're in your living room, in your kitchen, at a restaurant. I think he sent me to tell you he needs you to know that he still believes in you. I know he does. And the first step is just to invite him. Tell him, I'm, I'm going to live in your power and your strength from now on. So I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now, wherever you are. Uh, let's pray. So dear Jesus, I just want to invite you into my life. I feel like I've spent my whole life fighting for victory, but I want to live my life from now on uh, fighting from victory. Jesus, I thank you that you stepped into human history and you died for my sins. So Jesus, today, I invite you to be my savior. I hand you all the sins of my past and I look forward into the future that you have for me. Today, Jesus, I thank you that you rose again. I pray that you would give me salvation and freedom and give me the strength and the ability to, to follow you into a life worth living that starts now and stretches on into eternity. I give you my life because I know that you will give me a life worth living and I'm so thankful. I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, if, if you just prayed that for the first time, man, I am so stoked. And we want to help you. We want to support you. We want to cheer you on in this journey. We are in this together. So here's the way that you can let us know that you prayed that. You can go to one of our feedback channels, either 604-670-3040, our text line, and just text the keyword life. Or you can go on to the southsidelife.com website to the chat box at the bottom called Southside Together because we are together, by the way, and text that keyword life. And maybe you're in the chat right now. If you're in the message chat right now on this video, you can do the same thing. Just write the keyword life. Uh, we're not going to spam you, but we really do want to support you and walk along with you. I'm so stoked. So I'm going to turn it over to the band for a bit now.